0: Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today I'm so thrilled to be talking about the fantastic Britbox series, Archie. We are joined today by the wonderful Jason Isaacs, who plays Archie, also known as Cary Grant, um, who's also an executive producer on the series, and Diane Cannon, who's an executive producer and also the author of... Dear Carrie, My Life with Carrie Grant, which the series is based on. And Diane, starting with you, um, you'd been approached about writing a book for several years before you wrote the book that was released about 10 years ago. Um, And I was just interested in kind of like what finally brought you to the space of feeling comfortable in writing it. I know that that part of it was a personal journey of kind of needing to heal from some of the memories. And so what was that journey of finding yourself in a place where you felt ready to reflect on a lot of those memories in that time in your life? I had
1: been approached several times by some interesting people, one of them being Jacqueline Onassis, who wanted to edit my book. And I just said, I'm not ready. I I have to be healed before I write an honest book, before I write a a book that's fair to both sides. I really felt that that was important. And after I'd written my books, not shortly thereafter, Jeff Pope came to me. And other people came to me and said, let's make a movie out of it. But it just, I wasn't, I wasn't interested. It just didn't feel right. I can't give you a reason why it didn't feel right. It just, I didn't have that green light in my thinking. So when Jeff came, he interested me and I knew of his past. I knew he'd had some great writing hits and we talked about it. And a year later, when he came back and offered to option my book, I said, let's do it. And it's taken this long to evolve with a lot of discussion. That, that's ten years ago, isn't it? Yes, it was ten years ago he came to me. Um, ten years! And it's just finished, and now airing. Isn't that amazing how long it takes to make it right? And I think there's a thing called timing for everything that's perfect. And I think now is the perfect time for this. I think Jennifer and I are both ready. I think that the casting was amazing. I was Glad that wasn't a snake or something that <laughs> <It> just happened. <laughs> and um, it's it's good. I'm very thrilled with what's happened with it. It's been, we've run the gamut of emotions from the casting to the portraying to we'll, we're going to cut this scene to no, I insist on that scene. Please keep that scene in the, well, all, all of what goes into making a film or a miniseries. But we're thrilled with the cast. We're thrilled with Jason and Laura, who plays me, Laura Eichmann. Um, It's been a long affair. And and I must
0: say, it has happily brought me some closure. I, I love hearing that. And, and Jason, for you, you know, it sounds like taking on this role initially was incredibly terrifying to you in terms of how do I approach playing Cary Grant? And once you kind of stripped it back to I'm playing Archie, I'm playing the version of someone that we never got to see behind closed doors. What was your starting point of really just like stripping away the veneer of the public persona and finding the foundation of your starting point for how you were going to build this character and portray a version of him that we didn't get to see in the public eye?
2: I've afraid the whole answer's in your question. (laughs) Precisely that, it's it's called Archie for a reason. Uh, The world knows the character from the movies. He wasn't that person. That's a character he created. He played it very well in the films. He couldn't play it in, in his own life. He played it a little bit socially, but mostly uh, after he had wooed and successfully married Diane, she saw what other people in his life had seen uh, when he shut the front door and came home and, and locked out the world. She saw the mask drop, and she saw Archie Leach, who was a complicated man. He could be charming and funny, I'm sure, and those things that he faked outside professionally, but really mostly he was a man made up of open, gaping wounds from a terrible uh abandoned childhood and abusive childhood uh and who he had built along the years to who he felt he needed to become to try and survive I and mean, literally to eat but also to survive emotionally and that was a a big a big jumbled basket of uh of damaged goods
1: you know something jason from what you just said i just saw a picture of a scene that happened with us that i haven't thought about in years what? But Gary would come home from work and I'd run to meet him and he'd say, don't run, it buzzes me up. Right. So that every natural instinct I had was curbed. Every natural mm. instinct. I just remembered that.
2: Yeah, I think my pop psychology understanding of it is quite reductive always, but is that he wanted every single thing in his, in his life to be completely controllable. Everything. Because when he was younger, I don't mean just a little kid, nothing was controllable. There was nothing but chaos and hunger and anarchy and danger. That's right. And so if he could just nail everything down to be the way he wanted, maybe those feelings, those nightmares, those things he took LSD hundreds of times to try and curb, maybe they would go away. My dad's 91 years old. He he started making a living at 15. He left school because his father was a bit of a ne'er-do-well and the family were continually evicted. And uh, he was my dad went to school his first day at five and they came halfway through the day and said, you, come with me. You're moving school because they no longer lived in that district. They're evicted again. He still has nightmares about bailiffs coming, knocking on the door. Wow. He hasn't been in danger of bailiffs for 80 years. And uh, and I think, Carrie, those scars are so deep, so deep that he just tried hard, did a whole bunch of stuff to try and quell the, that torment inside him. But really, in our story, the thing that began to make it work was having a child and, and loving in a pure and uncomplicated way another person instead of seeking love from everybody and never getting enough
1: it was heaven until we married and then the idea of family united brought up all the guff from his Mm. childhood that he had never healed and he couldn't he couldn't look at it
0: and and Jason, I've also heard you talk about how, you know, you felt like he was always code switching in different situations. And throughout the series, we see him in different professional and personal settings. And, you know, it also just depends how long you've known someone. The the scenes, obviously, in the series where he's just met Diane are very different to once they're married and, and the veneers kind of come off that initial honeymoon phase. Um, and so how did you kind of find the nuance and the different versions that you felt like you wanted to present in your performance, depending on who he was with in that code switching? Well, I'd love
2: to take the credit for it. I mean, obviously, there is a script. I mean, I went off piece occasionally, but uh, the script and the story and the structure is something that Jeff wrote, uh, in combination with uh, Jennifer and Diane mostly. But you know, it's a story that tells itself because Diane had told it so brilliantly in her book, uh, exactly as you said. He was he was one person to the world, and with the people who he needed to please or get to do the things he wanted, and then when he was in somewhere that he called, I think the day you came home. With Jennifer, when your dad was there, he said something like, she's in my domain now. Do you use the word domain? She's in my domain now. She's mine. And inside the fortified walls of his castle, he was going to be the king. And maybe that way, he wouldn't have the nightmares he had. No, she, he actually
1: said, she's under my control.
2: Then. Right. <clears throat> so, yeah, how did I do it? Uh, I, I played the script. And uh, you know, I think I understood him from talking to Diane at such great length. I think I understood both sympathetically where it came from but less sympathetically how monstrous it was to be around
0: yeah and and diane as well like going back to that point that you were making even just in terms of when you wrote the book wanting to write it from a place that was fair to both sides i think one of the things that is so truthful and authentic as, in this series is it really acknowledges the entire breadth of of who he was as a person and so with what you were saying about fighting for certain scenes and feeling like certain things were very important to capture in the series, um, how did you set about as a producer making sure that the show and the series as it was developed was really going to capture you know the positive and the negative because every single person is is a breadth of experiences.
1: Yes, you're quite right. You know, it was actually based on my trust in Jeff Pope. Because Jeff and I agreed on certain things. The things we didn't agree on, he said, I'll try. I said, I want you to try harder. (laughs) And he did. And there was just one scene that I was really determined to have be the way it was in life. And and it turned out to be that way, even though it was shot several different ways. So it was really basically my trust in Jeff. And uh, working with him was delightful. And with Jason, we had so many, so many long talks. Laura and I, Jason and I, about who and what was happening and not happening. Was that a cat? It is, yeah. <laughs> Just sneaking up here. Oh, that's beautiful. Hi, Kitty.
0: Hi. Kitty kitty kitty.
1: What
2: about down on
1: right, it was a beautiful black cat. Thank you. I hoped it was a cat. Wasn't sure quite what that was. <laughs>
0: Um, and, and Jason, I wanted to talk to you about one interview in particular that you found incredibly helpful that, that was recorded. I think it was the year that he passed because he didn't do many interviews and there wasn't much for you to kind of unearth and dive into in terms of that side okay. of research.
2: Literally no recorded voices anywhere I could find. I saw him yeah. receive an Oscar, but Jennifer told me he rehearsed that speech for weeks. In fact, you can see yeah. when Frank Sinatra goes off piece and improvises for 30 seconds, he's absolutely in a panic. He's in a free fall. Yeah. Um, uh, he controlled his image. He curated his brand so carefully that he didn't want to give it away. He was frightened. He did give, well, at one point he spoke to a journalist uh, and told that journalist too many truths that he sued. There was a massive legal case you know, about this, mm-hmm. back and forth to try and get it back. He promised to write an autobiography. He wrote something like an autobiography. He obviously held a lot of truths back in order to bury, to spike that article. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I did find something where a young student who uh, well after Carrie retired in the last year of his life, uh, did an interview with him from the uh, university radio department um, and had recorded it although had specifically said don't record this his friend had and I tracked him down and for 40 years he hadn't played it to anyone out of respect to Carrie Grant who he admired so much and I said look I'm playing the man and I have no idea what he sounded like I know he didn't sound like he did in the movies because every single line I studied from movies had literally the same musical intonation pattern and no one does that in life and uh, he agreed to play it to me privately and it was It was a revelation not the things he said necessarily or some of the things were interesting but it was who he sounded like i could hear the boy in him i could hear frustration i could hear something plaintive i could hear uh, i could hear a whole bunch of colors and character traits that he hid from the public that diane would have seen so often and that was the final piece of the jigsaw for me
0: did it also help you in terms of just finding the the specific dialect as well? Because you have someone who was raised in Bristol, but then adopted an American accent. And so, you know, again, going back to that code switching, depending on is he at home in England with his mother? He's going to sound more like his origins versus when he's been in the States for a lot longer.
2: Sure. No, it's well, Jennifer, give me a clue. She said, oh, dad was much more English. He was always correcting my accent to make it sound more English. And I thought that's interesting. Uh, and then having broken down the films with the dialect coach, his dialect changed a lot in some of those films is him doing his best American accent, which is odd because it doesn't sound American to me. He wasn't really very good at accents. He may have been a magnificent actor, but accents was not his thing. Uh, but yes, when I heard the the tape, he was much more English, not completely English at all. Like many of my friends who lived in California for decades, there's a, you know, it burrs the edges, but he wasn't uh, the kind of bold guy on-screen character that he created
1: he turned down films where, where accents were demanded of him oh, really? because he knew he wasn't good at them
2: he got enormous praise for being a cockney twice <laughs> being listened to it he's about as cockney as dickman dyke really oh, yeah yeah <laughs>
0: And I also wanted to ask you about your relationship with Laura Aikman, who plays a younger version of you in the series as well, really wonderfully. And I was just so interested in what that experience was like in in having such a space of trust that you developed with her, you know, but it's also something where I imagine it was her kind of like looking and kind of like looking at your mannerisms and your characteristics in the present day, but also kind of like thinking back to what would that have looked like in your younger years, you know, when you were very much at the beginning of your career going into this new marriage in a different space and time.
1: Laura's wonderful, not just as a human being, but as an actress. And we had hours and hours of dialogue. She did a lot of research, tried watched me on different TV shows, listened to me singing, watched me acting. Uh, and after she played my- your
2: Carson interview over and over, a thousand times when we were recording.
1: Which one was that?
2: Those are the Carson interview that she was. She, that was her lodestone. Oh. That got her into your character. Your laugh, in the city, she Oh, she, she got-, got my concert. laugh. So brilliant.
1: And I, her, my laugh. Sorry. And she didn't realize, I didn't realize that she was a Brit. Her accent was so good that I thought she was American that was living in London. And she got my laugh. And I thought, wow, nobody, I've never heard anybody laugh like me, laugh like me. <laughs> and, and she got it. So her accent was wonderful. She's wonderful. And I hope she gets all the praises due yeah. for the for the way she performed in this. In this uh, she,
2: I don't think, so far at least, has had anywhere near enough credit because unfortunately she looks quite a lot like diane did when she was younger you know they're a ma- they're a fabulous match for each other and i think that takes away sometimes some people appreciating how brilliant how nimble she was first of all to capture a great mim- you know the mimicry of the laugh and the voice but also just to be alive in the scenes and to have such to well, i know that one of the things was really important to her was to try and capture the things you told about which is to be so wide-eyed and in love to make everything so positive and so optimistic, so that when the, when the, there is a big swing, you can feel the air getting crushed out of her, and uh, she does that so brilliantly.
1: Yeah, she's 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 special. She's really. Yeah. Special. I have to tell you, it's very weird having someone play you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's very weird. Uh, imagine me acting you. There's going to yeah. be things <laughs> you see and say. Wait a minute, that's not the way I would react at all. But and I'll tell you one thing, Kerry would not like this. He would not like this miniseries oh, at all. He was so private. We spent most of our evenings at home watching telly. Well, that's uh, the
2: point of the series, isn't it? That he hid himself. Well, we're showing it now, but yeah. yeah and he
1: wouldn't like this. He'd be, he'd,
2: well, he'd probably sue and shut it down. <laughs>
1: <wasn't> he'd <laughs> he threaten to divorce me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Jason, I also wanted to ask you about um, your scenes with Harriet Walter in the series who who plays his mother, because there's so much complexity in terms of that relationship and just the years that were lost between them. And there's this, this sense of, you know, he can't bring her back the young son that she never got to raise as a child and she can't give him back the childhood that he missed out on in kind of everything that happened to him and being thrust into adulthood at such a young age. Um, and so they're kind of relative strangers trying to get to know each other, but there's so much pain and trauma that they're trying to heal through individually and together. Um, and so how did the script really help you in, in, in Harriet in like finding a lot of the complexities that exist in that?
2: One of the problems with being a very perceptive and articulate interview is you just answer the question.
0: <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, in that case, I'd love to also ask you about the, the physicality of the role because you're playing him over the course of, of several years. And, you know, we get to see those scenes which are a later in life onstage interview. And so that's just physically a very different performance from the younger version that you're playing as well. And so what were the differences that you found in those spaces?
2: Well, he was when he was younger. He was an acrobat. He was an, uh, He was a gymnast. I and mean, he was. Uh, he was a stilt walker. Male escort. A, as a male escort, <laughs> I don't know how if I could embody those skills. And I knew he had. Bad, I knew he had, bandy knees. Uh, there was a the way he held his head. Often in the way he, t- you know, he turned his head on his neck. Uh, and um, as he got older, he got older, and he got less. He didn't go to gym. Didn't do any exercise. Didn't do any sports.
1: Never worked out, and had the best body you've ever seen.
2: And and so as he got into his seventies and eighties, where, where I play him, he's he's a little bit thicker. He was very obsessed with the. Jim said he was very obsessed with his waistline. He wouldn't let you know because clothes hung off him beautifully like a clothes horse. They don't. They hang off me like a clothes donkey. So uh, <laughs> so it was about holding myself a certain way when I'm younger, making sure there's a spring in my step, and uh, I'm feeling like I could spring up and do a backflip, although I can't. Uh, and then. When he was older, just walking in a a, a way that that was the body I had and I don't have it anymore, but wanting to be young because, of course, he was in his 60s when he met young Diane, but he was in his 70s when he met his second wife, who was also only a little bit older than me. She was 30 and he was 77. Actually, he was
1: 57 when I met
2: him. Sorry, 57. But so when he met Barbara. But he was
1: still older than my father.
2: Yeah. But when he met Barbara, he was in his 70s and she Mm -hmm. was 30, I think. And so there's something that if you're an older man like that, but you want, to be sprightly, you want to walk in a sprightly manner, but your body won't quite do it. Um, that was something I was trying to. That was something I was trying to capture, and of course the extra bit of prosthetics and uh, a slightly heavier waist. You know, I undid the belt a couple of notches. That helps.
0: And and lastly, for you, Diane. I mean, you have such an extensive experience in this industry as a performer, as a writer, producer, director. Um, And yet I imagine that this was very unique from every project that you've worked on over the years. Um, And so what were some of the ways in which this working on a project like this as an executive producer was just completely different to anything that you've done over the years in your career?
1: Well, I'd never written a book and I'd never executive produced a miniseries and I'd never been involved in, well, I had been involved in casting because I've directed films and I've i've cast people at but this this was different because it be was you. about my life yeah. this was this had part of my life in it and and i repeat myself but reading a book is so much different than seeing yourself on the screen in a room filled with people fill, from the media who were going to report on it and hearing their their ooze and their ahs and their growls and Did their. any point that you
2: thought Oh, fuck, I made a terrible mistake. I want to stop it now. No. Get off the train. I never
1: thought that, but I thought, why did I do it? After the fact, during the fact, I never thought about it. But after the fact, I thought, really, why did I do it? Really, why did I do it? I wrote the book because I needed to. I can't explain that. It was time. I'd been asked for so many years to write it. And I'd said no for so long. When I said yes, I meant it and I was ready. I don't know if I'm ready for this.
0: Hmm but we'll see
2: too late now
1: too late now
0: well it's it's a really wonderful series and it just feels like it has so much heart and so much truthfulness in the, in the way that it's been written and the, the way that it's been told so congratulations on the series and thank you so much to both of you for talking about it i really appreciate your time today thank Thanks, you Mara. so much what's your Thanks. cat's name uh his name's casper
1: <laughs> okay Bye, Casper. hi casper